do uh, take a seat again and do open uh, back up to Acts chapter 3, where we've got to in our series um, in the book of Acts. And let's pray um, as we turn to God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God who reveals yourself to us and who makes known to us what you have done for us. Please, as we look at uh, this passage this evening, would you show us the glories of Christ, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, my wife, um, Heather, and I, we both love a good house renovation program. I don't know if you've uh, seen them. There are plenty of them out there if you go searching on Netflix and the like. Um, So if we have an hour free in the evening, that is often something that we'll turn to. It's amazing uh, what can be done with pretty much completely run-down houses um, or with rooms that seem so impractically laid out that you can barely do anything in them. I thought, I thought I'd give you a taster this evening. So uh, here are a few pictures I found online this week. Um, here is a house that, uh, I don't know where you can see it, who clearly is looking pretty run down. It needs a bit of work. And then look what they've done to it. Amazing. Um, here's another one. Maybe slightly less dramatic in this, but I had to put it up because of the turquoise. That is Heather's favorite color. I'm, I'm not letting her paint our house that, but it's, I do think it looks pretty good um, on that. And here are a few rooms uh, that have been renovated. Look at that. What was essentially a building site there at the start looks like a luxurious front room to go and enjoy. And then look at this one, this kitchen. Look at that top one, dark, dingy, not much space for anything but turned into this beautiful, bright, airy, modern space. Now, why uh, do I begin like this, by showing you these houses, these, uh, these transformations? Uh, when it's exactly that, it's because each and every one of them, I think, has been completely transformed. Transformed from run-down to beautiful, from useless to modern and purposeful. And it's this idea of transformation that I think is at the heart of our passage for this evening in Acts chapter 3. What we see in our passage is a complete and utter transformation. Not of a house, but a much more important transformation than that. Transformation of a life. We see a life that is turned completely upside down. We see a man who's transformed by Jesus, transformed from being completely hopeless, downcast to someone who is hope-filled and filled with joy. And as we uh, see this happen, the question that we have to ask is, how does it take place? And it's exactly as we've just said, it takes place because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look with me right in the middle of this passage that Steve read for us earlier, verse 6. Here's the key of the passage we read that Peter says to this lame man, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And because of the name of of Jesus, this man does exactly that. By the power and work of Jesus, this man's life is transformed in just a split second. If you were uh, with us at the beginning of the book of Acts, as we began the series, you'll remember that in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, Luke begins by saying that in his first book, 
He has dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. And the implication we said was clear. It was that, well, this book is going to be a continuation of what Jesus is doing and teaching. This is what the book of Acts is going to do all the way through. But I don't think anywhere we see quite almost as clearly as this, the continued work of Jesus. In recording this miracle like this, Luke is making it absolutely 100% crystal clear to his initial readers and to us today that Jesus is still at work, even after he's ascended to his Father's side. And in this miracle, above all, we're going to specifically see that Jesus is still at work and he's still transforming lives. That is the work of Christ. Now, before we get into the specifics of this miracle, there's one thing I think we have to make clear and understand if we're going to see the enduring relevance of this passage, uh, of what we see here for us today. And that is that as with almost all of Jesus's miracles recorded in Luke's first volume, in his gospel, and all the other gospels as well, there is a deeper reality that is in view in this miracle. What we'll see in this miracle is a man's physical transformation but it's a, it's a picture for us of the kind of transformation that we all need in our lives. As we'll think about it a, a bit later on in a bit more detail, the reality is that every single human being here on earth is looking for something or someone to transform their lives. I don't know if you can feel that. It's what we're searching for. Transform our lives from being purposeless, joyless. We could even describe it as hopeless to a life filled with purpose, filled with joy, filled with hope. That's what we're searching for. If you're here this evening and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, it is great that you are with us. Let me just say to you now that as we see this miracle and see the transformation Jesus offers, think about this. Jesus today, he is offering you something completely life-transforming if you'll come to him. And many of us are Christians here already. Let me just encourage you that as we see this passage, we all need reminding, don't we, of the beauties of Christ, of what he has done for us. That's what this passage is going to do for us, really loud and clear. It's going to picture and present for us the glories of Christ's life-transforming work in his people. So as we begin, let's just each of us in our hearts be praying that as we leave this evening, we're going to go out with a renewed joy and wonder at what Jesus has done in our lives. So let's get into the passage then and see this transforming work of Jesus that's on show. And first of all, we're going to see that clearly in the miracle itself that happens. We're going to see a lived out example of a life transformed by Jesus. We see that because of Jesus, the lame will leap. If you were with us a couple of weeks ago, we were looking at the, the stunning picture of God's people together as they met together. And in our passage tonight, we see a specific incident that takes place as part of this ongoing gathering and teaching that's happening. If you look with me at verse 1, if you've got a Bible with you, we see there in verse 1 the, the two apostles, Peter and John, going up to the temple. Uh, presumably to meet with the other believers like they were doing uh, as we read last time, perhaps to teach the other believers, but almost certainly to pray, right? That's what it says there. They're going up at the hour of 
prayer, the ninth hour, three o'clock in the afternoon. But as they make their way to the temple, they come across this man. And in Luke 2, in, Luke, uh, in verse 2, sorry, Luke gives us a bit of information about this man. We read don't we, that he was a, lame, a man lame from birth, and he was being carried. And he was being laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Why are we given this information here? I think because, first and foremost, it helps us set the scene. And it helps us understand the predicament that this lame man was in. First off, we read that he is lame from birth. This man hasn't suddenly become lame through some accident or because of anything else. He's not going to recover from this naturally. And he knows nothing else other than being lame. He's never walked in his life. And the rest of verse 2 helps us understand the significance of this, particularly as it was at the time. Back then, pretty much, he was unable to do anything for himself. You can see that, can't you? He's having to be carried around by those who know him. And we don't know who these people are who are carrying him. We'd imagine it's relatives or friends of some sort. But the reality is that this is the only way that this man can survive day to day, by relying on others to carry him where he needed to go. And notice that he isn't being carried here to his workplace. Maybe that's what you'd imagine. But no, he's being carried and laid at the gate of the temple so that he could ask alms. That is, pure and simple, money. He's looking for money. Money so that he can survive. He's begging those who are passing him in in front of the temple to have mercy on him and give him money to survive one more day. Imagine that. This is this man's daily reality. Carried around by others, begging and pleading with others to be generous to him. All so that he could then, the next day, and the next day, and the next day, do exactly the same thing. Up, carried to the temple, beg, carried home or carried to wherever he was. Up, carried to the temple, beg, carried back. As we see this image, it's pretty bleak, isn't it? Thankfully, today, being lame doesn't automatically put you in this kind of a situation. But this was the reality back then for many like this. Now, the eagle-eyed amongst you may have spotted an interesting little detail there in verse 2 that sort of stands out in amongst this bleak picture. Do you see there that we're told that this man is laid specifically at the gate of the temple called the Beautiful Gate. This is interesting because there's no other mention of this gate in the Bible or from early manuscripts, as far as I can tell. So why is Luke putting this in here? It could be for a number of reasons, but here's what I think. I think this is referring to, I think it seems like this gate, Nicanor Gate or Nicanor Gate, this gate of the temple... Uh, that we read would have been 75 feet high and heavily adorned and covered with silver and gold. And if that's the case, I think Luke is putting this here and describing it as beautiful because he's making a contrast. You can see it, can't you? Against this looming backdrop of silver and gold. Here is this man hunched over, 
pleading for any last penny that anyone would give him. It's striking, isn't it? Maybe it also points to the beautiful act that's about to happen. We're not sure. But either way, this man is in a desperate situation. And so then into that situation in verse 3, we read that this man sees Peter and John. They're about to go into the temple, and he asks to receive money from them. Now, it seems likely at this point that it wasn't Peter and John's first time walking past this man, right? We read that he's there every single day. Uh, And Peter and John, we know, have been meeting in the temple. So they probably have walked past this man before, but this time Peter and John, perhaps prompted by the Spirit, stop as they walk past him. And we read in verse 4 that Peter directs his gaze at him, as does John. And he says, look at us. Seems like for this man, Peter and John, they were just two more people walking past in front of him. Most likely not going to give him any notice at all. See there, the command to look at us. Seems that this man, well, he's almost assumed, hasn't he, that Peter and John, well, they're not going to give him anything. And so maybe he's put his head back down, as you can imagine a man in his situation might do. Or perhaps you can see he's looking down the street, who's coming afterwards to ask? But either way, Whatever it is, suddenly you can see there in verse 5 the hope. He hears Peter tell him to look at him, and he fixes his attention on Peter and John. And we read that he was expecting to receive something from them. Finally, someone is stopping to give me money. And who knows how generous they'll be. Maybe I won't go home tonight and suffer from those hunger pangs that I suffer from every other night. But into that hope, we hear these shocking words. Peter immediately says to him, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. No silver, no gold. What else could they possibly be offering? Perhaps food. I guess that would be helpful, wouldn't it, in this situation? But that isn't the case either. Instead, we see this incredible thing. Peter and John They see past this man's request for money, don't they? And they see what was actually a greater need that he had. That he would be able to walk. Walk around for himself. That he would be able to look after himself. That he would be able to work and make money. And so that is the need that they meet through Christ. We've already read the end of verse 6, but look there again with me. Here is where we see a life transformed by Jesus. A life of desperation turned to a life of hope. A life of misery turned to a life of joy. Verse 6, but Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And then we read that Peter took the man by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And the start of verse 8, leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them. Somewhere that he would never have been able to go before as a lame man. Now just stop and picture this with me. The before and after that's in view here. The before and after Christ of this man. 
I've put this slide up without any pictures because what I want us to do is each of us here to picture what is happening for ourselves. Think of that before there. First off, just picture the whole picture here. Before, this man, he's sitting there, isn't he, hunched at the foot of a magnificent gate, holding out his hands, pleading desperately with those around him for for some kind of help. And picturing that before the people walking past, most of them completely uncaring. But then think of the after. The same man, but now he's leaping up. His feet are off the ground. He's heading through the same gate with the people who before were ignoring him, and now they're staring at him in wonder and amazement at what's happening. They've recognized him, haven't they? As we read, that they, this is the man who sat begging at that gate. What is going on? There's this incredible transformation. And then think of the man's face. Zoom in and imagine that picture before. Downcast, sad, We read later that he's over 40 years old, 40 years of wrinkles on his face as he's worrying just about how to get to the next day. But then in the after, there's the same face, the same man, but you'd hardly recognize it. Now it's lit up. His frown has turned upside down. He is beaming. There is light in his eyes as he himself tries to come to terms with what has happened. Amazing, isn't it? And what was it that brought about this transformation in just an instant? Was the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Jesus, through his people, the apostles here, and their faith in him has reached down into the life of this lame man and he has completely turned it round. Despair, dispelled. This man now is dancing with delight in the temple courts because of the work of Jesus. Look with me at how Luke the doctor tells us of the, of the full healing here. We read in verse 7 that he's raised up. And then specifically, Luke gives us the details, his feet and his ankles have been made strong. And then verse 8, like we've said, he's now leaping. He's walking around. This is no steady improvement over a number of days. I know some of us out there may well have had surgery on on various things like knees or hips or ankles. Sadly, you'll know full well that it takes time, doesn't it, to see the improvement that the surgery was meant to offer. And sometimes it's not a full improvement, but that just couldn't be the further from the case than here. Jesus' name, spoken in faith, brings immediate, full healing complete transformation. And as we see this lame man now leaping, in many ways, I think we could sum up his transformation like this. This man has received new life. He's received new life. No longer is this man to be cast off, shunned, walked past, in many ways, left for dead. This man has been raised up and can now enter the temple with all of those who previously were walking past him. And now he can do something to earn, earn money that he needs for each day. And he has the freedom now, doesn't he, to go wherever he pleases and to do whatever he pleases. This is new life. 
No wonder we then read at the end of verse 8 that this man is walking and leaping and praising God. As if that wasn't clear enough, Luke then repeats it for us, doesn't he? In verse 9, all the people saw him walking and praising God. What else could this man do, right? He's, he's been given new life and he's overjoyed. He's bursting with praise. Now, as we see this incredible work of Christ through his apostles, of course, we should still, first and foremost, just see this, this miracle like those at the time. We read in verse 10, don't we? They were, those looking on were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. We don't see this. This is the name of Jesus. He can completely transform lives. We see that in this man's life. So we today, rightly, just first and foremost, should stand amazed at this miracle. This is the power of Christ. But the truth is that there's incredible transformation as we've seen here. As awe-inducing and amazing as it is, this transformation and new life given to this lame man is only a shadow of the much deeper transformation and new life that Jesus offers everyone today who will come to him. See, as we said at the beginning, there is a deeper reality in view here in this passage than just this purely physical transformation that takes place. This miracle points us to the present reality that Jesus can also completely transform each and every one of our lives today too. This is the present reality in view in this miracle. Jesus today is still at work. He is still in the business of transforming lives, offering new life to whoever will come to him. To help us see this and to rejoice in this together, I want us to stop and just consider a few specific details from the text. First off, notice that as Peter and John spoke the name of Jesus to this man, as we mentioned earlier, they were actually meeting a greater need than this man was even asking to be met. This man was asking for money, wasn't he? Why? Simply so he could survive to the next day. But look what Peter and John say to the man. They don't have silver, but what they do have they give. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. So much better than offering money to survive one day, Peter holds out to this lame man a new transformed life in Christ. A life in which we will never again need to beg for money. This man didn't even think to ask for this, did he? But this is what Christ offers. And the truth is that Christ is also offering today to meet our greater need, our greatest need. Just like this man, each of us today does have this greater need, a greater need than silver or gold or food to simply survive to the next day. Each of us has a need for our sins to be forgiven so that we can be made right with God. Just as this man, he was a lame man, he wasn't allowed, he was prohibited from the Old Testament law from entering the temple So it is with us because of our sin. 
We cannot enter the presence of a holy and righteous God, one in whom no sin is found. But then, incredibly, just as this man was then made well in the name of Jesus and was given a new life of freedom and hope, one in which he could freely enter the temple, so we today can also enjoy a new life of freedom and hope one in which we can approach our gods, enter his presence with confidence, knowing that we are right with him because of the blood of Christ, what we were rejoicing in together around the table earlier. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. What a name. Do you remember, if you were with us, what Peter had said to the crowds back in the end of Acts chapter 2? Acts chapter 2, verse 38. They were calling, what should we do? And he replied, and he says this, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And what would they receive? The forgiveness of their sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ. Those are incredible, life-transforming words, aren't they? In the name of Jesus Christ, by trusting in that name, we find complete forgiveness for every single thing that we've done wrong in the past. No matter how big, no matter how small, all is wiped away in the name of Jesus Christ and through his blood, his sacrifice on the cross. And because of that, if we are trusting in Jesus today, we enjoy new life. Life of freedom, freedom from condemnation and despair, life of hope, because never again will our sin be counted against us. By grace, in the name of Jesus Christ, this man now could go freely into the temple gate. So now, by grace, each of us, in the name of Jesus Christ, can walk freely into the presence of our holy God. Despair turned to delight. Sorrow turned to joy. This is new life. And it's offered to all who will come to Christ. Jesus himself says it, doesn't he? In John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, He came so that we may have life and life to the full. And as we then look at one other detail of this text... I think it points us to the truth that if we are trusting in the name of Jesus Christ, it's not only life now that Jesus offers, but assurance of eternal life to come as well. Look at verse 7 again with me. We read in verse 7 that Peter takes this man by the right hand and raises him up. It's a striking image, isn't it? The man there slumped, hopeless, begging. But as he takes Peter's hand, the power of Christ raises him up. Immediately, there he is, leaping with joy. So it is with all who trust in Christ and his power. Because not only does Jesus have the power to put strength into ankles and knees and whatever else, he has power over death. There is no one else who has power like the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at that word there used in verse 7. We read that he is raised up. Raised up. 
It's exactly the same word in the Greek that's used time and time again in the rest of the book of Acts to speak of a different, greater raising than simply raising someone from the ground to standing up. This is, this is the same word that speaks of the raising of Christ and the raising of those who are in Christ. Just next week, we're going to hear this same word used as Peter declares that God raised Christ from the dead. Jesus, the only one to ever be raised and then never to taste death again because death was defeated. This is Jesus. Not only one who says in Matthew chapter 11, when he was sending a message right to John the Baptist to confirm who he was, he says this, doesn't he? He's one who causes the blind to see, the lame to walk, the lame leaping, but he's not only that. The rest of that, Matthew chapter 11, he says he's also the one who raises the dead. This is Jesus' work. Listen to how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 52. At the last trumpet, at Christ's return, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed, transformed. Already, if you're a Christian here this evening, Jesus has transformed your life. But there's also a final and full transformation to come when you will be made perfect like Jesus. And that transformation will be even more glorious than the lame leaping because you will be perfect forever, dwelling with your God forever. If you are a Christian here this evening, take this miracle with you this week. Think about it. Preach it to yourself each day. Steve was talking about this this morning if you were with us. We need to remember the gospel. See, if this incredible transformation of the life of a lame man leads people to wonder and amazement, how much more, as we think of the transformation that Jesus has given us, should that lead us to wonder and amazement? If you are a Christian here this evening, maybe, maybe you've thought about this before, maybe you haven't. Do you know you also have a before Christ and an after Christ, just like this lame man did? Before, you also were in a hopeless situation, cast off from your God, unable to enter his presence, no way to make it right for yourself. But now you too, because of Christ, after Christ, are now leaping with joy. Because in the name of Jesus, you are now a new creation. And you now have a glorious hope. Now, if that's not a before and after to rejoice in this evening, I don't know what is. And if you're not a Christian here this evening, let me just also say to you, this transformation found in the name of Jesus, it is being held out to you this very moment. If you will turn to Christ, believe in his name, he can and will meet your greatest need the forgiveness of your sins. And if you will come to him, I can promise you, you will never find a more important transformation in your life. It will be a transformation that leaves you, just like this lame man, leaping up and praising God for the rest of your life. 
Jesus tonight is offering new life to all who will come to him. Come to him this evening because just as he was here 2,000 years ago, Jesus tonight is still in the business of transforming lives and he can transform yours. Now, just as we close and as one final encouragement, there is one other thing that I think uh, this miracle that we've seen this evening also points us to. And that is a future reality. We've seen the present reality, now a future reality. The future reality that one day Jesus will return. And when he does, he will transform all things. As we've just been saying, Jesus is still at work today in our broken world, transforming lives. But there will also come a day when Jesus will return and complete his final work, his final transformation. On that day, just as we see in this miracle a complete transformation in this lame man's life from broken and suffering to joyous and completely well, so on that day we will see a complete transformation like this of all things. We read in Revelation 21 that at Jesus' return, this fallen, groaning world will be completely transformed. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And we read these incredible words for us to take away. On that day, God will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. There will be no downcast, lame man begging on the streets of heaven. Instead, all who are trusting in the name of Christ are going to be rejoicing together before the throne of our God with all of our needs met, all of our longings, as Steve was talking about at the beginning, all of our longings satisfied, satisfied in the presence of our good and gracious Savior. What a hope Jesus brings to our fallen world. And just as we finish, look at, look at this. In verse 6, what Peter says, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. The name of Jesus Christ. As we go out this week, we can hold on to that name and rejoice in that name. But isn't it incredible? We can also go out with that name. Speak this same hope, this same transformation to the world around us because it is the greatest need that anyone will ever have to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray as we close. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for his work. Thank you for his death on the cross. We thank you for his sacrifice, for the forgiveness that we find in him. Lord, what an image we've seen this evening of this lame man who ends up leaping and praising God. Lord, that is our reality. Spiritually dead, Lord, apart from Christ. Today, those of us trusting in his name, alive. Lord, cause us to leap with joy, whether that's in our hearts or more physically than that, Lord. Help us to see and remember this week the glories of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And Lord, help us, like Peter, like John, to be ready to speak that name to those around us, speaking this greatest hope 
that the world needs to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to finish fittingly by singing of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to sing this song, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. Let's stand and praise our God together. and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all.